Let's pray and then uh, and let's dive into this word. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for you. We're thankful that you have decided to redeem a people who did not deserve redemption. We're thankful that you decided to save a people who did not deserve to be saved. Lord, we're thankful that you decided to be gracious to a people who in no way, shape, or form deserve grace. Everything we have is a gift from you, Lord. The breath we breathe, the movement of our body, our phalanges, having feelings, it's all a gift from you. And yet, Lord, we struggle to acknowledge you. We struggle to give you the praise you deserve because, as I confessed earlier in prayer, we have an idolatrous relationship with comfort, control, power. We have an idolatrous desire to solve the problem that only your son could solve. We run around trying to fix remedies, trying to fix things, trying to produce remedies for our ailments, and all we do is, is dust the symptoms. We never get to the root, because it's not in us or through us or of us to do that work. That is inherently your work to do. And Lord, I pray that this morning, somehow, some way, I pray that we would that we would touch some of the root, or rather, Lord, that the root, the branches, would grab hold of us, and that you would place us within the vine of your son, Jesus, grafting us in, giving us spiritual life through the life that is in him, that we would produce fruit in keeping with repentance, that we would love one another and testify to the world because of our love for one another that we would stretch out our hands to touch our community, that Jesus' name be praised and remembered, not ours. Father, would you just do a mighty work in us, through us, for us, and let us just enjoy that ride. Let us give you all the praise and all the glory for it. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Real quick, uh, Diana, can you pass my glasses? Oh, my bad. Because y'all ain't going to care nothing. Because I can't see. Hold on. On the side? Yes. I got, I got water. Thank you. Yes. The Lord said, let there be light in sight. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Pastor Canaan. And uh, one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. And this morning, we're going to continue our series in the book of Exodus. So get an open in your copy of God's Word to the book of Exodus. We're going to continue there again this morning in our series called The Crucible, Reforming a People Through Trial. While you're turning there, I want to uh, bring up something that I used to watch. I used to watch something called The Dog Whisperer. I don't know if any of you guys used to watch it with Caesar Mulan. The Dog Whisperer was dope. Uh, it, Caesar Mulan was a dog, a man who specialized in 
like restoration work with dogs, rehabilitation work with dogs. And if you used to watch it, then you know how thrilling it was to watch Caesar, especially when he went up against a dog that was really big and kind of intimidating. And it really didn't matter the type of dog that he um, worked with. He would work with all kinds of dogs, all kinds of breeds, all shapes, all sizes. It didn't matter. Uh, dogs that were normally too hot to handle for their average, you know, the average dog owner. He would come and he would deal with them. And he would try to lead it back to mental health. Um, these dogs would bite people at random. They would scratch people at random. They would jump on people. How many of y'all actually watched that? Am I the only one who used to watch See, All right, the dog whisperer. Y'all didn't watch that? Y'all wildin'. Go back in time. Go watch Caesar do his thing. You got to see what he does. He would deal with dogs. They used to chase people up and down the block. Rough and tough dogs. But there was a common theme with all of these dogs. There's a common theme that ran through all of them. Almost all of these dogs wrestled with something called PTSD. Almost all of these dogs had a history of abuse. And, it, and by the time Caesar got to them, and they were already wilding, it wasn't that their current owner was abusing them, it's that they had experienced abuse previously, and now they can't shake the abuse that they had. Now they can't see straight anymore. Everything they do, everything, everything they encounter, they see through the lens of the trauma of their past abuse. And so when Caesar would get to these dogs, they had a history that he had to learn and interpret based on the dog's behavior. See, the dog couldn't tell him he was abused. He couldn't tell him that. He had to watch them, see them, look at them. And it didn't matter what breed. He, he would deal with little chihuahuas that were aggressive. He would deal with pit bulls that were aggressive. And sometimes when they were too aggressive, he would submit them to something called the power of the pack. That was a great episode. Y'all watch that episode. What was crazy is that we, as humans, we can relate to that same reality. We oftentimes are living our lives as a result of what happened to us in the past. And that's all of you. All of us, to some degree, are a product of our past. You think the way you think because of the way you were raised. You do what you do because that's what mama used to do. This is just normal behavior. You've learned how to, how to do something or you learned how to survive through something and then you take that and you bring it here. You read in your current schemes here. If you know people from the military, when they fresh get out the military, they come home and they eat so fast. And you're like, bro, slow down. If you even see it, then you want to they eat really fast. He's like, slow down. What happened? Well, they're trained. Eat quick. Because we're in the middle of a war, you don't know when it's gonna pop off. You know, I think of the way I am today, and I am the way I am because of the way that I was raised. I was raised by a single mother who worked two jobs at one point, and it was me and my sister alone in the crib. And I had to learn how to do me, be me, do what I needed to do by myself a lot of times. Because my sister would do her thing and I had to go learn how to do my thing. And so what it did is it bred this, this independence in me where I don't need anybody. And I'm still like that to this day. And, it, and, it, and I take that independence that's not good, it's ungodly, this independence that I have. And I bring it into my marriage. And now, in my marriage, I have to learn how to depend on my wife. I don't know how to do that though. And so it's hard for me. Can we get some tap some napkins? Anybody in the back can get some napkins for this? The people of Israel at this particular time are experiencing those exact 
realities. They're experiencing uh, a better situation. They're in a better situation right now than they were ever, than they've been in at least in a generation. But their past trauma and the past pressures that they're experiencing are causing them to act contrary to the reality that they're in. Let me say that again. Let me wait. Let me, let me say that again. I know y'all are distracted by the juice. Don't pay attention to the juice. Their present realities are causing them to misread. I'm sorry. Their past traumas are causing them to act in a way that's contrary to their present reality. They're being taken care of by God. But they had a generation and a season that they weren't being or they felt like they were abandoned by God. They were alone. They were struggling. They were chattel slaves for a long time, the people of Israel in Egypt. And so when they come out of Egypt, they're going to read everything they do through the lens of a slave. That's what they're going to do. And that's what they're doing. God is loving them. He's guiding them. He's sustaining every step of them. But their trauma has blurred their vision. And it's distorted their reality. And by the end of this morning... My prayer is that us who have distorted vision would have clarity to see who it is that sustains us, both, both, both physically and spiritually. So look at Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. First, we're going to consider these first three verses. It says, The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin. That's just another word for saying Sinai, the wilderness of Sinai. Which, between, which was between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they left the land of Egypt. And if you recall last Sunday, we stopped at that point. The people of Israel had gone through. They were thirsty. God provided uh, water because they came to a, a, a lake, a, a body of water that was bitter. They couldn't drink it. And so the people of Israel get to Elam, right? And God gives them a proverbial rest. Because Elam has good water, Elam has uh, uh, good, good food to eat, it's a good place for God's people to stop and rest and consider God's provision for them. He gave them a break in Elam. And the break was to remind them that God says, I didn't forget about you, I got you. I know you're going through, I know you got this issue, I know you're going through this thing, but don't forget, I got you. As a matter of fact, here, sit, rest. Let me show you my care for you real quick. That's where they are. And you'll see that in Exodus 15, 27. And so now they're leaving Elam, they left Elam, and then they're in the wilderness of Sinai, the wilderness of sin. Look what happens in verse 2. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. If that sounds familiar, it's because that's exactly what happened last Sunday. They grumbled. Y'all remember what grumbling is? Grumbling is to nag or complain in words, noises, and body language. That's what grumbling is. Grumbling is the language of a distrusting and unbelieving heart. That's why you grumble. You grumble because you, you, you don't believe something. You don't trust something. So you grumble. And the question you got to ask is, well, what are they distrusting? What are they not believing? Well, in this passage, they're not believing God. They don't believe that God, Moses, or Aaron has their best interests in mind. And what's crazy is we believe that, but we don't say it because we're in the Bible Belt self. And you go to church on Sunday. The people of Israel don't believe that God has their best interests in mind. And you know that by their behavior, they grumble. If you know that the person has your best interests in mind and believe that they're capable to bring to fruition what their interest is for you, you won't grumble. 
They don't believe. They don't believe God can. They don't believe God cares. That's what's happening. Why? They're coming off a season of chattel slavery. They grumbled and grumbled and grumbled and moaned and moaned and moaned and they felt like they were not heard. God heard them, but they're reading into the present, the, the, the past trauma. Look at verse 3. So the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. So what's their problem? They're hungry, right? Their, their, their stomachs are growling. Last week they were thirsty. This week they were hungry. And in both weeks, they made the same mistake. Do you remember what they were supposed to do last Sunday? Uh, uh, Psalm 55, 22? Cast their burden unto the Lord. But that's not what they do. Instead, they grumble about God. They didn't cast their burden on the Lord. And we'll talk a little bit more about casting your burden on the Lord later. And this is... And notice what they said. Like, look at verse 3. I want you to notice what they said. They said some crazy stuff. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Y'all hear what they're saying? They're crazy. They're going back. Oh, I we should have just died out there. Instead, he says, oh, then he says, we sat by pots of meat and we ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Their present circumstances... Got them all jacked up. They can't even remember the past anymore. This is what happens when you're in distress. You remember the past wrong. You remember the present. You look at the present wrong. You're just wrong. And it's funny. Those are the times when we think we're thinking the most clearly. No, when you're in a distress situation, you ain't thinking clearly. They said they, they used to sit by pots of meat. They didn't sit by no pots of meat. They were slaves. They didn't give them no food. But the, the most crazy thing they said is we would have... It was better that we would have died by the hand of God in the land of Egypt. Do y'all remember what those 10 plagues were like when we went through that last year? God turned the water to blood. They said it was better. Well, yeah, we'd rather endure that. Okay. The homes were inundated with frogs that carry warts. That was better, though. They had heads full of lice. They experienced biting flies. They had sick and dying livestock. They ended up getting boils, which are inevitably itchy and annoying. Hail busted up the roofs of their, their houses and their crops. Whatever from the crops didn't die, God sent locusts to eat the rest. Then they lived in a darkness that you could literally feel. And then God took out the firstborn son of everyone whose house was not covered by the blood of the lamb. But they said that was better than where they're at now. They just come off the oasis, they're walking through, they see God's provision, he will provide, but that was better. And that's funny, that's what happens when we're caught in a situation. It was better back then. No, it wasn't. You know all those people be dreaming back in the day? No, it wasn't great during the back in the day. It was horrible then too. This is how they were treated when they were in Egypt. Look at Exodus 1 in your cross-reference sheet. Exodus 1, verse 11, 13, and 14. In your cross-reference sheet, it says... That Israel, I mean, that Egypt assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. That sounds like sitting by pots of meat and eating all the food you want. Look at verse 13. It says they, they worked the Israelites ruthlessly. And they made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. 
and they have the audacity to complain that God wasn't taking care of them. If you look at the timeline, God says in Exodus chapter 2, it's in your cross-reference sheet, they groaned over the difficult labor, and God says that he heard them and he knew. And then what he does is he protects the, the Israelites from the plagues that he sent on Egypt by placing them in this particular land that they lived in Egypt called Goshen. So God hears their complaints. They're in a particular place that is not getting touched by most of these plagues. And then he says, I rescued you from the oppression of the Egyptian government and the Egyptian gods that you were once worshiping and still are to a degree. And he says, you got lost in this wilderness. And Exodus 13 says that he came in a pillar of cloud and fire to be a guide to them, to lead them where they're supposed to go. And then last week when they were thirsty, God came, put a tree in the water and made the water sweet for them to drink all while they're complaining against him. The whole time they're complaining against God. And I can't help but hear the, the words of God ringing in my ears. Like what I should give you is wrath for spitting on my kindness. But isn't that what we do? That, that's the, the human reaction. Isn't that what we do? When someone spits on our kindness, what's your reaction? When you do something kind for somebody, how do you respond? Like, honestly, think about it. You've done this. This has happened to you. You've done a good work. You went above and beyond. You served somebody with all you had, and they were ungrateful. In fact, maybe they complained about the work you did. How does that make you feel? If you could, you would dispense wrath. In today's day, you, you do cancel culture, right? You cancel them. You cut them off. I ain't doing nothing with them. Ah, dead, they're dead to me. What does God do? Look at Exodus 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, you ready for what he's about to do? I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. Wait a minute, stop. Y'all ain't catch what just happened. They complain, God hears. They complain, God provides and saves them. They complain, he gives them something to drink. They complain, he says, not wrath. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven on you. If anybody ever told you that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, bring him to Exodus 16. Because this is the very definition of grace and mercy, of love and kindness toward his people. Look what he says. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when I prepare, when they prepare what they, what they are to bring in, it will be twice as much that they gather on those days. Y'all remember the definition of mercy and grace? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. That's what we're seeing simultaneously in this passage. We're seeing God not give them what they do deserve, which is wrath. For their grumbling. In fact, later on, when they grumble, God gives them a little snippet of his wrath because he's heard enough. But in this situation, he doesn't give them wrath, mercy. And then what does he give them? He gives them food, grace, giving them something they don't deserve. What they were doing was complaining on God. And the difference between complaining on God and bringing your burdens to God is this. Complaining is a state of distrust and discontentment and unbelief in what God is going to do or doing to you through you right now. Right, right. 
So right in this moment, when you're in a state of discontent with God and you're talking to God, you're probably not bringing your burden to him. You're probably complaining to him. Casting your burden on the Lord is the act of trust and belief. It's when you're like, God, I know I can't, but I know you can. I'm struggling. I need you. It goes from, God, why me? Why are you doing this? I don't like when you're doing this. Why did you do It goes from that to, God, I'm in this bad situation, and I don't like it, but I need you. There's a different heart posture there. Not all things that you bring to the Lord is casting your burden on him. Sometimes you're just complaining because you're not trusting him and his plan and whatever he's doing in and through you in that particular moment. Oftentimes, the discomfort you're experiencing is to chisel you. It's to open your eyes to something. It's to get you to stop worshiping the idols that you're worshiping. But we're selfish. We worship the God of comfort. And because it's uncomfortable, we complain to the God of heaven and earth because he's taken away our comfort. That's what we want. You know how I know you want it? Because that's what I want. When God takes away my comfort, I'm angry. And I need his spirit to remind me of these things. God ends up providing for them. He says that he's going to literally rain down bread. Skip down to Exodus 6, 16, verse 13 through 15. God's going to fulfill what he said he's going to do. So that evening, quail came and covered the camp. Quail is a bird. Quail came, meat came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. And Moses told them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Manna, another word for manna, what we think manna means is actually, what is it? We think that's how, what the word actually means. It means, what is it? And God provided Bread, that's what it is. God provided bread for them to sustain their bodies. But the question is, what of their souls? Their bodies are being fed, but what of their souls? God is using bread in this narrative, in this story, to lead our minds to something else, another kind of sustenance that we need if we're ever going to survive the journeys and wildernesses that we find ourselves in in this present day. He's using it as an illustration for us to remember. Jesus is going to remind us the kind of bread that our souls need. Look in your cross-reference sheet at John chapter 6. It says, now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed the huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test them. For he himself knew what he was going to do. Verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. So what did they end up doing after verse 7? They end up finding a little boy with five loaves and two fish. And then look at verse 10. This is what happens. Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. And so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told the disciples to collect the leftovers so that nothing 
was wasted. Let's just recap what's happening here. Well, the, the, there's, Jesus is there. The festival is coming. There's a crowd of people following him. They're hungry. Jesus, so let's feed them. He says, Philip, where are we going to get the, the, the food to feed them? Philip's like, I don't got no idea. We don't have enough money to feed all these people. And he says, okay, cool. They bring him a little boy with five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, sit everybody down. He blesses the food, and he's able to distribute the little bit of food, and it multiplies by a miraculous work of Jesus to feed everybody who's there before him. That's what just happened. And a little bit later, uh, Jesus leaves. He, he crosses the sea. And the people catch up to him because they, they want their bellies full again. So they find Jesus a little while later. And Jesus tells them that they need to believe on the one that God has sent. The people begin to ask him for a sign. Who's the one that God has sent? We need a sign from you. And then they bring up the Old Testament. They say back in the days of Moses, God sent a sign by feeding the people when he rained down manna from heaven. He says that was a sign that God wanted them to, to believe and trust whatever the words that he told Moses to speak. So where's your sign, Jesus, if you're our prophet speaking on behalf of God right now? Where's your sign? Look at what Jesus says in verse 32 in your cross-reference to John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us the bread. What does he say? Verse 35. I am the bread. Jesus says, I am the bread. Look at verse 48. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This bread that comes down from heaven, uh, this is the bread that comes down to heaven so that everyone who eats of it may not die. In 2005, the Lord saved me. I was sitting in my room. It was after a week of wrestling with God. And I was told through the, the pastor at the time to read the Gospel of John. And I opened the Gospel of John and I read from verse 1 and I got all the way through. And Jesus was, was cool until I got to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he shall die, shall live. And that captivated my soul. Because I said, who's this dude who has power to give life? Who's this man who can promise that I live if I but have faith in his name? The reality is sin kills and is killing you. It's killing me. The consequences of sin is death. You will be eternally separated from God for all eternity because of your lack of repentance and belief in Christ. Your sin is leading you to worship idols. And you will die in your sins. But Jesus says, no, believe in me, and I give those people life. He reverses the curse that Adam did. Remember when Adam said, if you eat that fruit from the tree, you will surely? Jesus comes as the second Adam, says, no, but if you eat my bread, if you take part of me, you don't die. You live. There's life in the person in the name of Jesus. That's where you find it. That's where you find your spiritual vitality. If you feel dead, you're probably dead in your sin. But once you come to faith in Christ, he gives you spiritual life and, and vitality in him. You want him. You crave for him. You yearn for him. All of a sudden, he's everything. You know when he's not when you're worshiping an idol. That's when Jesus is not everything anymore. What's the idol you worship? What's the PTSD trauma situation that you experience 
that's causing you to have a distorted reality of who the person of Jesus is. That's why you don't praise him when you hear his name. You're reading your past trauma into him. He loves you and he's caring for you. He sent his son to, his son to redeem you. It was easier for him to just not do it. Y'all realize that? Jesus sweat blood at the Garden of Gethsemane. That's, a, that's a, a scientific show of his stress level before his crucifixion. Could have just said, no, nah, I'm going to leave him to their devices. I ain't going through all that. What proof of love do you need aside from the cross? Verse 51 of John 6. He says, I am living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I want that bread, but we're too busy chasing bread that feeds our physical but not our soul. We running every morning and eating healthy, but our souls are right. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the man of your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. The illustration and the application is perfect. God is testing the people of Israel during their time with the bread. He's testing his disciples in John 6. Do they know where this bread's going to come from? And he's testing us right now. What is he reminding us? He's reminding us of what he said when he was tempted in Matthew 4, chapter 4. And we find it is the Old Testament quote in Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live off bread alone. Half of us in this room are half dead. Because we're living off bread alone. We're living off our own ingenuity, our own thoughts, our own desires, our own, our own, our own, our own. Confess it and believe it. It's true. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and was like, God, I need strength for my day. I'm going to depend on you throughout my day. And then you actually did that. Or did you lean on your own understanding, lean on your own trust, not consult God? It's so much easier just to do you. Jesus is making the claim that God most certainly sustains them and us physically. But he's also telling us that he has a remedy for the greater issue, which is the issue of their soul and the condition of their heart. And he's come to, to bring remedy to their spiritual condition. The people of Israel and the people, of, and the people Jesus is talking to needed bread that leaded to eternal life. And Jesus is that bread. And we partake of that bread by faith by trust, by turning and entrusting our lives to Jesus. Faith is the key to life. Trust is the means of salvation. Self-sufficiency is the means of starvation. You trust in yourself, you'll starve. Trust in Jesus, you shall be fed. Habakkuk 2.4 tells us that the righteous live by what? Not by bread, not by ingenuity of their own. The righteous live by faith. That's not New Testament, that's Old Testament work. That's for the Israelites walking through the wilderness. Live by faith in me. Trust me. It says twice that he was testing them, the Israelites. We didn't read it here, but it's there in the text. You can find it. He says twice. I, I do, we're doing this to test them. I'm seeing where their faith is. And this is certainly true of them. But because of their trauma, because of their sin nature, they disobeyed the Lord in hopes of capitalizing on his provisions. Look at verse 16 of Exodus chapter 16. 
This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it, talking about the manna, as, as, as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual, according to the number of people that is in his tent. Verse 19, Moses said to them, no one is to let any of it remain until morning. But look at verse 20. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some of the people left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. Therefore, Moses was angry with them. People just happened. Why were they trying to save the bread until the morning? They were chattel slaves. They didn't trust God. God said, I got you. Listen, take the two quarts that you need. They said, cool. They collected two quarts. But then they said, well, I think, I know God said just take two quarts for what we need for the day. I know Moses said don't let, let any of it save tonight, but I think I'm going to let a little bit of this stay. Inserted his own, their own wisdom into it. What did they get out of, as a result of that? Stank worms. Is this not your story? You see what God says. You see what he promises. You see how he delivers. I think I'm going to just do this because I, I'm going to hedge my bets. But what's ironic is they're doing it on the blessing that God gave them. God ever blessed you financially and you hoard that mug? Instead of being generous and sacrificial with what he's given you? He said, has he given you a talent or a skill or a desire that he's told you to go out and spread that mug across the planet so that the, the world may see his glory? But you just, I got a better idea. I think I'm going to use it this way and monetize it. Come up on it this way. Stank worms. Stank worms. Your way is stank worms. But we keep going to it. This is us trying to live by our own strength and our own understanding instead of resting in what God has told us to do. Everybody says, I want to know God's will, and then they do what they want to do. Instead of reading the text and applying the principles of the passages to, to, your, to your life, God, tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. Well, I think I'm going to go ahead and do this because I, I ain't hearing nothing. He spoke. He's speaking. 66 letters of information, of, of life guidance, of instruction, of freedom. They're acting like the dog with PTSD that can't recognize the fact that their master has storehouses of bread. Plenty to go around. They're snapping and hiding their, their bowl from God and his instructions. And they're contradicting God's instructions because of their own fears. Look at verse 23. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Also notice the theological heads. This comes before Exodus 20 when he gives the Ten Commandments. Anyway, if y'all want to read into that, why is that happening, right? He says, this is the holy Sabbath of the Lord. He says, bake what you want to bake. And boil what you want to boil. And set aside everything left over until the morning. Look at verse 24. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or have maggots in it. They set it aside on the other days when God told them not to, stank maggots, stank worms. They set it aside this day, no stank worms. It's not, this isn't just regular bread that gets moldy after a day. God is showing his power over his provision. If you, if you don't trust my provision and you do what you want to do with my provision, it will result in stank worms. But if you trust me and do what I've asked you to do with whatever it is I've given you, it'll live. It'll, it'll, it'll give you sustenance until, until the morning. 
He's showing his full control that the bread doesn't just go bad, doesn't have an expiration date. He's forcing his people to see his provision. Verse 25, it says, he says, eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. God, again, what is God doing? He's instructing them, right? He said, if you set it aside on the, on the sixth day, on the seventh day, it's going to be good. But on that seventh day, don't even go out. Why? Ain't going to be no bread for you. That's why I want you to collect double on the sixth day. You think they listened? Think their PTSD came into play? Let's see, verse 27. Yet on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they did not find any. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? I don't know if you guys have a loved one. Who just keeps falling into the same trap over and over again, a friend, a child, a cousin. But after a while, that mug hurts when you're watching them destroy themselves. You ever, y'all know anybody, you watch them literally destroy themselves over and over again? It's like they're not listening. And you're almost like, man, how long are you gonna be, how long until you listen? This is God's children. How long will you not listen to me? Why aren't you? You're not trusting me right now? Really? They even go so, so far as to disobey God in order to appropriate their own happiness and security. God gives them, provides for them. They hoard what he has so that they can be secure. That's another idol that we worship, the God of security. If we don't know what's going to happen, we ain't doing it. Even if God said, trust me, I got you. What is God doing in these scenarios? He's working the idolatry out of them. He's not letting them trust in their own understanding right now. Because if they saved the bread and it didn't rot, they would start saving the bread and disobey God altogether. Isn't that what we do with our lives? We find Dr. Phil to solve all of our problems. And if it even kind of massages it a little bit, we're good with God now. We, we found another answer. And God is saying, I'm not even going to let you do that. I'm forcing you to depend on me right now. That's a scary spot to be in, and that's a spot that some of us need to be in, because we're wired to be so self-sufficient. We're seeing the depth of sin and trauma and idolatry within the human heart. When it comes to God, either he's Lord or he's not. And in this particular situation, who is their Lord? Their bellies? Their own ingenuity? The proof of who your Lord is shows its fruit in who you obey, who you trust. If you trust the Lord, he is your Lord, and you obey him, even when it contradicts what you think you should do. Many of us have these things where the scripture is clear, yet we do what we think is best. In those moments, Jesus is not your Lord. You are. That's just the reality of it. And you will reap the product of being your own Lord. Stank worms is what you will amount to. What you need to do is give the throne of your heart back to its rightful king. Give the throne of your heart back to, your, to its creator. 
God asked the question, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? The question is for all of us under the sound of my voice right now. That question is for you because that is you. That's you. You don't got to play perfect with me, y'all. <laughs> y'all are jacked up. Okay, don't play the church game of perfection. I'm messed up. You messed up. I need you. You need me. We pray and love one another. And I'm telling you that you live a life apart from God a lot because our sin leads us there. And people puff our heads up. And we think we good, Zion. We think we good. We not good. And I need you to tell me I'm not good. And I need to tell you you're not good. You're not good. How long will you disobey his instructions? You know what's crazy? You don't even know his instructions. Because we don't read. But we're going to praise God on Sunday. The God you ignored throughout the whole week. The God that you did everything you wanted to do, griped and complained about, but you're going to praise him, right? He's here. You feel him, right? How long will you disregard the Lord in all of your life's decisions? How long will you pretend that you have a relationship with God when throughout the week you ignore his very presence? How long will you continue to play the tough guy role, pretending that you got it together when on the inside you crumbling? How long will you run from what God has called you to do because you think you have a better plan? How long will you refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord? How long are you going to play the game? I need to repent to my brothers every day. I need y'all. I call Eric, man. I don't know today. Last Sunday, man, you was all right? I was like, bro, you caught me. I wasn't all right. I should have told you. How long am I going to pretend like I can do this under my own strength? How long are you going to pretend like you can do your stuff under your own strength? Stop the facade, please, y'all. Cut it. You need King Jesus to give you spiritual, you need spiritual bread to give you spiritual vitality so you can walk. We find the bread in Jesus. That's why the vision of the church is leading people closer to the bread. Get them to the bread. You get them to the bread, they eat and they walk and they run. You get them to us, they die. Stank worms. I can't leave none of y'all. I get you to the bread. He does the rest of the work. Lean into Jesus and find your sustenance for your soul. And the sustenance, the, the thing that you've been craving that you haven't been able to quench with all the ingenuity you've had, you find, them, find it in the Savior. Find it in King Jesus by faith. Trust him. Verse 35, Exodus 16. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to an, until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they reached the border of the land of Canaan. This verse is vital. I know we skipped around this chapter. This chapter is big. A lot of good stuff in this chapter. It says they saw the glory of God. Whew. That's his own sermon, okay? They saw the glory of God and still did this. Anyway, that would have been, we've been here three hours, which I'm good with, but I don't know if y'all good with that. This section is so vital to understanding the love of God. At first glance, you read that verse and you go, they had to eat manna every day for 40 years? Right? That's the first thing. None of y'all want to eat manna every day for 40 years. Right? That's the, that's the first thing you read. Because we're so selfish. That's why we read it like that. Because we're selfish. 
Yes, they might have had other food to eat, all that good stuff. But no matter how obedient or disobedient the people of Israel were, no matter how much they trusted God in the moment or disobeyed him in the moment, the amazing thing about that verse is that God fed them every single day for 40 years. They spit on his name for 40 years, and he fed them every day for 40 years. They didn't believe him for 40 years, and he fed them every day for 40 years. That's the thing about the verse that's amazing. Not that they had to eat bread every day. It's that God provided bread every day. And what's dope is every little boy, every little girl, every cousin, every auntie, every uncle, everybody that existed in God's community in this place ate. God's bread is infinite. But his bread is intricate. Everybody gets to eat. Some of y'all are sitting here now and you don't bring your burdens to God. Confess it. You don't bring your burdens to God because you look around and you say, my, my stuff's not that big. God got bigger things to do. He got other things to do. I know y'all done it because I've heard it from your mouth and I've thought it myself before. God got other things, other fish to fry. So you don't bring your burden to the Lord. Instead, you hold on to it and you live by your own understanding. But what is this showing us? Even the little kids got bread from God. He's here and he's listening to you. He's omnipresent. He can hear us all at the same time and care for us all at the same time. God is telling us, I'm right here, I'm right now, I'm hearing you, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you sustenance for your soul, I have not forgotten about you, your problems are not small. Your problems are big for you, and I got you. Even though you disobeyed me, my people, I got you. Even though you didn't believe me and you went through and you had to eat stank worms for a couple days, I got you. I will provide for you. It's my God. My God got me. It makes me want to praise. Because he got me. It ain't on me. It's not on you. If you believed in Christ, he will sustain you. That's why the prayer is, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. You're going to feed your children. And when God is good to us, our response ought to be praise to him, thanks to him, gratitude to him. Look what you've done. But we do what Israel does. You're going to eat this every day, God, for 40 years? God wants us to turn from trying to secure ourselves with feeble attempts and hoarding the little bit of bread that we have. And he wants us to trust him with our soul and our bodies. He got food for us in both categories. And he'll see to it that we end up getting eventually to the land he has promised. God will provide bread for the body and bread for the soul to those who have entrusted themselves to Jesus. So is that you who needs to entrust yourself to Jesus right now? Real quick, I want to say this. There's no shame in everybody thinking you was a Christian and you really wasn't. Today's the day of salvation. We rejoice. I don't care if everybody here thought you were saved and you want to save face. Today ain't the day for saving face. Today's the day for, for, for salvation. You've been eating stank worms. Your body is broken. Your soul is battered. You don't trust Jesus. You don't. Just confess it. 
and we press on forward to the goal together. Don't play the fake Christian game and end up spiritually not nourished. Come to Jesus and get the bread you need. Find Pastor Eric. He can't help you. He'll lead you to the bread. Find Pastor Derek. He ain't got no, now he ain't got nothing for you. He's going to lead you to the bread, though. Find me. All I'm going to do is give you God's word and hope that that sustains your soul. And I pray that it does in your will. But don't think you're good and not take it. It's a deadly mistake. Don't, be, don't buy Satan's lie that you're good. You're not good. You need bread. Father, I, I need bread. I need bread, Lord. I stay away from the bread of your word all the time. I'm trying to live off other bread. But I'm not living off your word. I'm not believing it. It's here. It's right here. I got to look at it. I read it. I'm not believing it actively. I got idols battling for my affections. Idols. I got the culture trying to tell me how to be a man. I got the culture trying to tell me I don't need you. In all these generations, that's what the Israelites heard. They Yahweh. I don't know no Yahweh. The gods of the Egyptian ancestors is what you need. We need Yahweh. We need you, King Jesus. You're the bread for our souls. You're the one who destroys these, these other deities and then gives life to your people. I need you. We need you. But we fronting like we good because culture told us we good. We ain't good. Open our eyes to never make the mistake. Open our eyes to never be the fronting people who think we're okay. We need bread and we admit it. And we find it in you. And in our weakness, in our confession of need, we are strong, mighty, able, conquerors. Because we're in you. We don't got to have smooth speech. We need Jesus. We don't got to be winsome and know every apologetic argument to win the soul. All we need to do is get him to the bread. And they taste and see that you are good. They come and believe. Repent and believe. Lead us to that. Lead us to the bread, Lord. Don't allow us anymore to front like we good. Convict us and grow us. In Jesus' name.